0: to what is it
1: Uh, macabre podcast universe
0: this is the podcast that exists to prove people wrong when they say
1: sequels are never better than the originals
0: and folks this is this is a series we've been sitting on for a long time we're we're in the month of may this month is going to be our three-year anniversary and we have been saving this series because Frankly, it's huge. It is a huge series. And I've always thought, you know, we gotta we gotta wait till we have a little more hours under our belt. And, you know, when we started this, they were still coming out with movies. Right now there there are no movies coming out, although there's a lot of, you know, projected projects. And shows. And shows. So it felt like, you know what? Now's the time. And not only that, we did a bracket and Star Wars won the bracket. Mm-hmm. And I am very stoked to rewatch all these movies and talk about them. I haven't seen them for a few years, so it's a little bit revisiting them in a fresh way, I think. And we're diving deep, folks.
1: And just as when we did Matrix, one of the bigger series we've also (laughs) covered, I am sick again to cover Star Wars. Yeah, I don't know what that's about ready for that and wanted to present an obstacle so I sound bad
0: but you're jazzed yeah because this first movie we're talking about is a movie called Star Wars and it rules so hard it does um and and you know maybe you're wondering you're sitting here and you're going uh how come the title of this podcast episode is not the title of the movie well folks, we are going by the theatrical titles when these movies came out. So this episode today is called Star Wars because in 1977, when this movie came out, it was called Star Wars. And we're going to get into, you know, the title changes and all that stuff, of course. But it's
1: also known as Star Wars A New Hope.
0: Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Um, but what is another exciting thing about this series is this this is I mean without this series we don't have this podcast because film history does not turn out the way that it's turned out. Yep. I mean this is the first real like I mean they're they're four kids, they're fun, they're for everybody, but it is in a way it's like the first serious uh uh franchise. Mm-hmm. You know, you got your Godfather starting before this.
1: You have your um, Good and the Bad and the Ugly.
0: Yeah, you have stuff like that, but those are not, those are not like franchise filmmaking the way mm. Star Wars establishes that. So, this is huge. This is really, really huge. Yep. Um, can you tell me about your first experience with this movie?
1: I cannot you because cannot? Star Wars is something that has always existed. It's never not existed. Therefore, yeah. I cannot remember the first time I've seen it. And I've seen it a thousand times. Yeah. That being said, so yeah, growing up, it was always Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, and then later Harry Potter. Like those are the big three. Yeah. And as a kid, my favorite was Lord of the Rings. Uh-huh. But it was also like, yeah, but I love Star Wars too. Yeah. That being said, I can never figure out which movie is what. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And. What title is what? It's as if like we would always watch it when it's on TV. Therefore, there's a lot of confusion for me.
0: Right, a lot of commercial breaks. But I don't think
1: that's true because I don't think my I don't think this was like a big movie for my parents.
0: Uh, Yeah, your dad has always said that he thinks these movies are kind of silly and he prefers Star Trek.
1: He's a Star Trek. He's a Trekkie. Yeah,
0: Yeah, he's a Trekkie. But if we if and when we ever do Star Trek, we should have him on. That would be pretty fun. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so is that is that it I don't mean to cut you off. Um
1: yeah, pretty much. I mean it's just a huge part of my life. Yeah. But I'm not a crazy fan or anything either.
0: Yeah. So this for me has has until a little more recently, it's been like my kind of like one of the one of the pillars of my life is like there's Star Wars, there's Spider Man, and there's Lord of the Rings. And it kind of fluctuates with whichever one is my favorite at the time i think um like in the past couple of years i got a little tired of star wars for some reasons we'll get into when we cover the later movies um which might set you up to think that i don't like those movies but i do actually but there's some minutiae there that we'll discuss but um you know i think right now i'm I'm just Spidey because I wake up every morning and read a bunch of Spidey comics. But watching Star Wars the other night, it's just like, this is like, it feels like home to me in a way. Uh Yeah, And it does feel like if I don't watch this movie when I'm a kid, I probably am not obsessed with movies. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, this is a very formative movie. It's one of my all-time favorites. Um, I think it's pretty undeniable. Yeah. Even today you watch it and it's like you just can't deny that it's great. Yeah. Um but I can remember the very first time I watched this. This is like one of my first movie memories ever. And um it was in the second house we ever lived in. I would have been 6 or 7 probably. And we're sitting there and I can like remember the shots of the movie that I remember as a kid. And I remember seeing that scroll and having my dad kind of explain what the scroll yeah. was about. Yeah. And then seeing like R2-D2 and C-3PO walking through the sands of, of Tatooine and just being in wonder at like, this is crazy. I already love this thing. But now, one thing I always have to point out, and I, I mentioned this to my dad uh, the other day when I saw him that we were about to record and I said, but you know, you did kind of ruin one of the biggest things ever of films. And he's like, I still, I feel bad about that because when Darth Vader shows up in this movie, he said, he explained to me that Darth Vader is Luke's father. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the first thing he said. So, I Why? remember... Just
1: because he just did?
0: Well, I think he was just
1: trying to... Because I,
0: I probably was asking a lot uh-huh. of questions or something. I mean, I don't... Like, I can't remember the exact scenario, but I just remember being like, when we got to Empire Strikes Back, it was not like a... Crazy. A twist or anything like that. Although, you know, when you're six or seven, twists are... They don't really mean anything to you, uh-huh. I don't think. Um. So... My dad (laughs) does get told the title of ruining the biggest twist in movie history. Wow. And I never got to experience that.
1: So that and Harry Potter were ruined for you.
0: That's true, because if you'll remember, um, your sister, I'm Uh. explaining it for the audience if they forgot, Jordan's sister, I was watching Harry Potter for the first time, and I was like, oh yeah, we just finished watching, I think Half-Blood Prince. And then I was like, yeah, and now they have to get all these Horcruxes to destroy Voldemort. And she's like, oh, yeah, and that's when you find out Harry's a Horcrux. (gasps) No, you don't yet, do you? And I was like, oh, dang it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) So I've had a lot of those um, ruined for me, but that's okay. Um, But, yeah, so this has always been, I mean, this and Empire Strikes Back are definitely the most seen movies I've ever seen. Uh Uh-huh. And probably right under that would be the Fellowship and the Two Towers, mm. would probably be the most seen movies that I've ever seen. Yeah, by, I, as a, a wide a kid, margin.
1: As a kid, the the scene when they're in the the garbage shoot part yeah. always yeah. scared me. As a kid, because <laughs> of the monster in the water and then the walls closing in. Oh, that was so scary to me. Yeah, and I think uh, really didn't like CP30. C-3PO. C-3PO,
0: yeah. You're sick. You yeah. wouldn't have messed that up.
1: As a kid. Because he was so mean.
0: Oh, yeah. I remember thinking he was so mean. Yeah. The more I watch these movies, though, the more I'm like, C-3PO is so hilarious.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um, And if you're not a patron, uh, two days ago, we covered the Akira Kurosawa movie, uh, The Hidden Fortress, on our Patreon. There's a link in this description, which is one of the main influences for Um, Star Wars Mm -hmm. uh, this first movie and C-3PO and R2-D2 in particular don't exist without that movie Mm -hmm. so check out that episode $3 a month come on Um, but yeah so this is it now what I would like to do is you know there's so much stuff about Star Wars but we're gonna go back in time like dream sequence harp and we're going back and we're going back no sequels none of that That's how we're tackling this at the moment. George Lucas is this guy, and he makes a couple of movies. He makes this movie called THX 1138, which is a sci-fi movie with um, Robert Duvall, Um, and it does well critically, bombs hardcore. Then he makes a movie called American Graffiti. Okay, we'll get back to that. But I found on YouTube... A documentary from 1971 about George Lucas. 1971 is before he made American Graffiti. That's crazy. And he's... It, it's not necessarily about George Lucas. It's more like this film critic and George Lucas talk about film as they walk around in, like, the deserts of California and sit in the grass together. <laughs> okay. Uh It was... Would recommend if you like taking deep dives. Um, I'm looking at you, Mike Combs. You would like it a lot. Um they actually do some predicting about cinema that is like absolutely dead on for like 50, 60 years in the future, which is crazy. Now, a couple of things I want to point out is um George Lucas has always been in love with the technical aspects of film, and he's been at least at this in this documentary he's a lot less interested in story and characters and he says um, i'm just now getting into saying something so he has some like like TH, THX 1138 is a very cold movie oh okay um and you know he has like some he, he's very into like like shooting like just a still image and you'll notice in, in this Star Wars, like the camera movement is very minimal. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's just set the camera down. And this this idea of loving the technicalities of film, I think is what's what sets up this whole George Lucas amalgamation and wh- why he's such a complicated person to think about and talk about. Because he gives us Star Wars. We all love Star Wars. But then he also like, Tinkers with the movies that we love and makes them a lot worse. Yeah, and then he does what he does with the prequels, which of course we'll get into in a few weeks. And he pushes forward what movie making will become with this movie, but the six movies. I mean, he made that. That is w- how movies are made today, for better or worse. But he loves the technical <laughs> aspects of it. So I just wanted to point that out. Um. But he became friends with Coppola uh, when he was working a scholarship on the set of Warner Brothers, and the Coppola's kind of like the young, hot director guy, and he's becoming friends with him, and he, in this documentary especially, you can hear he hates studios. Okay. I mean, hates them with a passion. Uh-huh. And he says a couple of really interesting things. He says, one, the dollar is above the man and talent, uh-huh. and he says... The problem is Hollywood doesn't know how to sell a film, so they force you to make a movie a certain way so that they don't have to sell it, Hmm. which I think is a very interesting quote that is still true today. Yeah. Um, Instead of figuring out how do we market this movie, how do we get people to see this movie, how do we get it to the people who would enjoy it? It's like no, no, no. Make it so that the lowest common denominator uh-huh. can enjoy this movie, and it can make a billion dollars instead of less than that. Mm-hmm. So that is our setup here. Question: Yes.
1: So when did he go back and update the originals?
0: Um, I don't have that right in front of me right now, but I will go back to that. Okay. Um, because that's that's a little later in my notes. Okay. I have these organized a certain way. So, um. Then George Lucas makes American Graffiti, mm-hmm. which if you have not seen American Graffiti, really good, great movie. Yeah, great movie.
1: Really young Harrison Ford. Really yeah, really young Ron Howard.
0: Yeah, I mean lovely. Um, and and oddly enough, you can see some of the DNA of Star Wars in it. You know, you can tell it's the same filmmaker, which is kind of strange to say, mm-hmm. but you can. Um. So a producer at Fox, Lad is his name, he sees a cut of graffiti and he's like, before it comes out, he's like, we got to make a deal with George Lucas for his next movie. And so George is like, okay, I have this idea where I'm going to be kind of taking the old serials on TV I grew up with and uh, Buck Rogers, the cowboy stuff, and um, Flash Gordon and turning it into a movie. And he, right off the bat when you do any research about star wars he's very much like there was no intention of this being one movie oh okay um he tells one complete story cuz who knows what was going to happen but he he writes Plus well, what
1: serials should be it's like a uh, continuation yeah. but it's all contained
0: yeah yes yeah you're you're exactly right um so he's very much like like he wants this huge universe thing um and so he gets this deal, $15,000 to develop a script, 50000 to write a script, 100000 to direct, and then uh, he'd already set up this corporation. The Star Wars Corporation would get 40% of net, and it would hit a $3.5 million budget. So that's where we're starting. Um, then American Graffiti comes out. It's a huge success, and Lucas now has some leverage. Now, some of the research I did on this movie I just want to point out for our listeners uh, is from this book called Easy Riders, Raging Bulls. And Which it's, we've,
1: we've referenced before.
0: We have referenced before, yeah. Um, and it's by Peter Biskind. So a lot of this information comes from his book, and I'm going to be quoting it quite a bit um, as we go along here. Uh, so American Graffiti, huge success, and in 1975, he's already he's already up to his second draft of Star Wars. He's already written one draft. He's writing a second. And at that time, it's called The advent, uh, Adventures of the Starkiller, Episode One: The Star Wars. Um, and he writes 250 to 300 pages Whoa. and realizes this is a lot of movies, sort of develops all different types of stories, sets on, settles on a trilogy, but he's very malleable, malleable about it. Um,
1: it's crazy how invested he is this early on And then he sells it I know Like decades later
0: Which, yeah, again We will be talking about that Because So
1: interesting
0: I, I Yeah, I think he's so interesting Because when I was researching this I was kind of coming I wanted to kind of present this thesis That even though Star Wars has In a lot of ways been bastardized um, It was originally intended to be an auteur Auteur movie that happened to become a blockbuster. But I couldn't quite support my thesis because there's a lot of things that George Lucas says uh, that's especially in this book that kind of defy that sort of thinking. But then there's other things like the fact that he's writing all this stuff. I think he is inspired and he is being artistic. And he really the fact that he doesn't want the studios control and he believes he can do it. It's like, yeah, he this is a tour. But then at the same time he's saying, "Yeah, but give me all the rights to the toys."
1: Yeah. So yeah. he's like
0: such a complicated uh uh figure in history.
1: Well, it's like he he's like a ki- a really passionate kid with really big ideas, but he's not going to be disillusioned by the money. I mean, I think he kind of does. But yeah. yeah. Like he's he's so worried about the business side of it. He's also going to figure that out.
0: Yeah. Um it's like he's a very, very smart businessman, but also an artist. And, and I think, I mean, we'll see when we watch the, new, the prequel Star Wars movies, but, well, I don't want to say. I don't want to say. But I, I wanted to read this. Um, this was a first sentence from um, one of his original scripts. And it reads this. The story of Mace Windu... That's going to be played by Samuel L. Jackson in decades later. The story of Mace Windu, a revered Jedi Bendu of Opachi, who is related to Uspi C.J. Thapi, a Padawan learner of the famed Jedi. And it's just kind of cool as a, as a fan that like those ideas that he had in the '70s don't come to fruition until 1999. Wow. And, and that, I think, speaks more to, like, the artistry of it, where he's like, I can't let this stuff go. Uh-huh. I have to tell these stories, uh-huh. you know? So, um, there's that. And then, at some point, there's around four scripts, and throughout the filming of the movie, there's, there's changes all the time to yeah. the script. So, I'm gonna read a couple more passages here, um... When *Graffiti* started cleaning up at the box office, Lucas had an opportunity to renegotiate his deal with Fox. Berg told him he could expect to get him sal- his salary raised to five hundred thousand and cash in his net points for gross, but Lucas shrewdly declined to or yeah decided to make his demands in another area. Wiser from his traumatic experiences with Warner's and Universal, he wanted *Star Wars*. Uh, produced by his own company so he could make the costs charged against the picture um he had been burned on control by studios uh, and he saw it as a control issue instead of a money issue because he was then uh i messed up the words on that part but i got the point across there right
1: it sounds like you just stopped in the middle of a sentence.
0: I did stop in the middle of a sentence. What are you saying? Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Um, he, instead of renegotiating to getting a lot more money, because now he had leverage with American Graffiti, he's like, I want more control and I want to be a producer on uh-huh. this movie. So, that again, that's like another tally for the artistry point of it.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, should we take a break and cover an actor? Yeah. So you can do some talking. I got a lot more, Jordan. <laughs>
1: um so in this movie we have a couple of famous people
0: just a couple
1: one of them being mark hamill who plays luke skywalker leading up to star wars he was in general hospital an episode of the partridge family and then i just discovered that he was in a single episode of a ton of shows yeah so he was making his rounds on tv as the guest character on an episode. And then also from 1972 to 1973, he vo- he does voice work for the new Scooby-Doo movies. That's what it's called. Oh, cool. So he does voice work that early.
0: That's so cool.
1: Um, And then Star Wars, the rest is history. Because
0: um, this is his first movie, right? Star Wars?
1: I don't know about that.
0: I-, I believe it is. I believe this is his first movie. He'd done shows and... Uh but you you're saying the voice acting was before he did Star Wars?
1: Yeah, he started voice acting before Star wow, Wars.
0: Wow, that is wild. He
1: has 353 acting credits, which is definitely the most I've seen out of anybody. Yeah. But let me just check. Move he he's done TV series, TV movies. He's in a Yeah, it looks like 1977. He he's also in a movie called Wizards in 1977.
0: That is uh that is an animated movie. It is.
1: I'm just looking at that. That's a oh, okay. very
0: weird movie. Um,
1: it's, I, I think I've seen some of that movie. It's, yeah, Ralph, Ralph Bakshi. Um, There's like yeah, projected
0: really? Nazi footage in that movie. Uh, it's very interesting.
1: But yeah, mostly TV series, TV movies, and then Star Wars. Um, and then, of course, he's, it, it, you know, like I just said, rest is history. He's in a million things after this, whether it be more TV, more series, uh but more than anything, best known for Luke, but also best known for playing the Joker and animated Batman
0: stuff. Yeah, and tell him um, about our favorite.
1: Well, yeah, he's also he plays Skips in regular show. Yep, which is one of my favorite cartoons. And then he's also in the funniest episode of What We Do in the Shadows. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, which, if no one has seen it, it is it's ba- it's it's inspired by the movie by Taika and. Dway TD and Jermaine Clement
0: which we covered on our Patreon a couple of years true. ago. That's true and
1: they've made a show that is just as funny. Yeah. And it's just vampires living in Long Island, New York.
0: Yep. And in modern day.
1: Mark Hamill plays a vampire and it's just so funny.
0: Yeah, he yeah, it's that is the best episode of that show for sure.
1: And then just to mention uh Anthony Daniels plays CP3O. C3PO. C-3po. <laughs> Uh, and that, I mean, he does. That's like who he is. Yeah. And then Kenny Baker plays R two D two. He's also in Time Bandits okay. and Elephant Man. Okay. And Peter Mayhew plays Chewbacca, of course, and uh-huh. has always been Chewbacca. Uh, he did pass in twenty nineteen. Yeah. But he's always been Chewbacca.
0: Yeah. Uh, a, re- a quick thing about Anthony Daniels. That's I- I've heard that throughout filming of the the first couple of movies, he was always very much like, I'm above this.
1: He's a, th- he's a theater I'm guy. I'm a theater
0: actor, and and I think he would make fun of Kenny Baker, who plays R2, and be like, this is stupid, and like I'm going to be doing other stuff. But what's funny is if you look at his filmography...
1: He's, he's C-3PO.
0: It's like That's only it. that. And then Kenny Baker has actually done other things besides R2. Uh huh. So it's kind of like, ooh.
1: And then also David Prowse plays Darth Vader. Yes. He's also in a Clockwork Orange, I guess. Oh, yeah. He's
0: the tall guy that um, carries um, the the guys in the wheelchair that gets attacked. Oh. I always forget that.
1: But it's voiced by James Earl Jones. Yeah. And is the whole thing because J- uh, David Prowse's voice is not what they're looking for?
0: So, yeah, you can look it up. Uh, David Prowse, you know, of course, plays him. He's very imposing. He's very tall. And you can see like deleted scenes or like some alternate cuts of some scenes. And he's like, We need to look for the plans of Leia. And we need to oh, I've never heard it. It's very much like um a higher pitched and less aggressive General Tarkin in this movie. Oh. It's not imposing at all. And so they, they had James Earl Jones do the voice. And of course, that's the most iconic voice, maybe of all time uh-huh. Uh-huh. In, in movie history. Um and one of, of course the best James Earl
1: Jones in the sand lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, and uh he's S- Simba is Oh, I don't know. Sure. Which, which one's the dad? Is it
1: isn't Simba the main lion?
0: I think he is. Whichever one the dad is, he's he's that lion. Cool. The one that dies. Um Yeah, so back to me now. Yeah. Throwing it back? Okay, cool. Um so George makes a deal he says give me all of the rights to the toys and the stu- and a once in a lifetime deal that no other director in the history of the world will ever be able to make yep he's like they're like yeah we don't care it takes 18 months to make toys this will be old news by then no problem yep. you can have the rights studio doesn't have any rights he to star wars won toys
1: the lottery
0: he no no he didn't win the lottery <laughs> he bought the lottery yeah, yeah that's true um so that is crazy. Yeah. Then before he's getting ready to do this, Francis Ford Coppola comes up to him and he's like, I know you're trying to get this done. You're running up into problems. You're writing, you're writing. This is a silly thing you're working on. What you should do is you should make this movie called Apocalypse Now. And Francis
1: tells George Lucas that?
0: Yes. Oh. And he's like, uh, we'll, we'll, and, and George Lucas is originally interested and he's like, yeah, I'll do it for two to three million dollars and we'll shoot the whole thing on 16 millimeter. So he is going to make Apocalypse Now. Um, But then it just kind of doesn't fall through. And then the it rest does fall through. Well, yeah, the rest is history with Francis Ford Coppola going crazy. Uh-huh. I mean, if you don't know anything about that, watch the documentary Hearts of Darkness. Still have
1: never seen that.
0: It's on my computer. We should watch it sometime. Yeah. Um but George Lucas one of the things he that inspired him about this and this goes into maybe not art tour I'm not sure taking advantage of the moment we have this wonderful time in cinematic history where you got your Martin Scorsese's you got your Francis Ford Coppola's and dark stories are being told amongst many other directors Altman, Friedkin, dark stories and um Uh, stories with a lot of moral ambiguity. Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? And George Lucas is looking around, and he's like, people aren't making family films anymore. He's like, there's not a good guy anymore. There's not a bad guy anymore. And so he goes, I want to make a movie that everyone can go to, and you go, Luke, good. Darth Vader, bad. It's that simple. And that's part of, like, the seed of this idea where it's like let's just make something simple every you always have to go to the theater and think really hard Mm -hmm. um so he does that um and you know he would show friends scripts and stuff like that and they would just be like this is not good and this these are all these directors all those great 70s directors they're like all friends Uh um and so they're doing that um, Han Solo is loosely based on Francis Ford Coppola, hmm. uh, and then they start shooting the movie. It winds up going up to eleven million dollar budget, over budget. Yeah, uh, the crew is making fun of him on set yeah. while filming the movie. Yeah, um, it uh, didn't like like this makes sense why he didn't direct empire strikes back and return of the jedi when i'm when i'm reading about the making of this movie i'm like it totally makes sense that he didn't direct the other movies okay because he's just getting made fun of and like he's fighting so hard for this and then i think when when he goes to the next one he's like okay i just want to write and produce and be on set and not have to like figure out the camera work and Uh stuff Because you can also read about, like, he's having fights with, like, his lighting people where he's like, I want to be able to shoot this like this right now. And the lighting person's like, I have to, like, reset everything. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, So we're finally shooting the movie. They decide on a used future look. And I think this is a key for me in what makes Star Wars look different from other sci-fi.
1: 100%, dude. Yeah, I, it, it's the the used future thing. Like you told me this the other day and it's like a light bulb went off. It's like it was what I've always felt about Star Wars. That's uh-huh. so good is Star Wars is so good at showing you, like, the tip of the iceberg of things because there's so many planets and species and people, but none of it's really explained to you. And I know you can read books and go on the internet to find out yeah. more. I'm not one of those people. I want that tip of the iceberg to know that there is more, but this is what we get. Yeah. It's so good. And to see, like, things are well-worn and used. It does. It has feels, a huge
0: dent in his head. It feels you know? lived in yeah
1: and I, and what the series becomes, which they the the feeling to explain everything right is to its detriment in my opinion because I think part of what makes it most fun is that it's really simple. you know there's more, but this is what you're getting in this movie
0: right. I'm with you on that hundred percent
1: and I, I I think that's I just love it so much. It just makes me think of uh, Jake Parker a lot, which is one of my favorite artists. Uh, he's a heavily influenced by Star Wars, and if you go look up at his art, it's just when you said that it made me think of him immediately because yeah. he's a big. He does a lot of sci-fi stuff, but his he has his own world is lived in as well. Yeah, and it, you know it's because of Star Wars, uh-huh. and it just looks so much cooler than like sleek, clean cut sci-fi
0: stuff. Right. Well, and and it makes me think of like. You know, Star Trek, when I look at Star Trek, how come this looks so different from Star Wars? It's cleaner. It's sleek. Mm-hmm. It's like the the pinnacle of humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're doing it. We're exploring. And Star Wars is like, yeah, we explored two centuries ago, and this is the scraps that are left for us.
1: Yeah, what's cool about that is, like, for Star Trek, it is directly linked. You know, Star Wars is a galaxy far, far away. Uh-huh. Star Trek is the future. Yeah, it's yeah. us humans from So it's, Earth. like, inspiring. So we're, like, we've evolved to that cleaner thing. And the, the show's a lot about like diplomatic relations yeah. and stuff, but, uh, star Wars is like not even part of us in that way. Right. Where it's like, this is how it went for them.
0: That exactly. is how it feels. Um, and I think it's smart on a, on like the budget level that they're at. The fact that sci-fis are not something people are making at this point in history. They're, they're like guaranteed failures at the box office. So He's doing this thing, and it's like, well, instead of having to make all this sleek, shiny stuff, we can just grab random crap and put it together and uh-huh. make it look like a robot, and then it's fine. And it also, like, lends itself to the story. Uh-huh. It's really just smart filmmaking on that level. Um, so, uh, oh, and I want to mention the cinematographer Gilbert Taylor, who did Dr. Strangelove and A yeah. Hard Day's Night, nice. amongst many others. Yeah. Um, so now, we're going to talk a little bit about the actual making of the movie, unless you want to hit another actor.
1: Let's hit another actor. Okay. So next, we have Carrie Fisher, who plays Princess Leia, of course. She, uh, prior to being, you know, Star Wars is pretty much at the beginning of her film career, Uh huh. but her mother is Debbie Reynolds, and she was yeah. part of her mother's act in Las Vegas, and then she's in the movie Shampoo. my voice cracked
0: which is uh i think that's a uh warren Beatty film i think you're right yeah
1: and then it's pretty much star wars and then it's like everyone else rest is history um it's cool that she gets to be princess leia in the future I i know which is very sweet um and then she's also in when harry met sally I'm, she, I'm giving my hits oh yeah. To she's her.
0: so good in that movie. We
1: did talk about her, but I don't think we covered her when we did Scream Three. Yeah, one um, of the
0: weirdest cameos I've ever seen. Still yeah, can't but really also it out. like
1: kind of makes sense because Carrie Fisher does a lot of punch up to scripts. Yeah, so she not only was she a really talented actress, she was a writer, and I think she's written books. And well,
0: it's just that thing that the whole problem with Scream Three. It's like the, nothing's decided on. It's all just a mess.
1: Well, no, but you what know. I'm saying is her cameo is because Scream is a always a commentary on right film and writing and everything. So, uh, but apparently, so I looked in my dictionary of film uh, on her, and I guess she did a she even did some writing for episode one of Star Wars. Really? Yeah, uncredited.
0: I had no idea. That is really cool. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people know that. That's. Really? You kind of blew my mind there, Jordan. I love that. Back to me? Yep. Okay. So here's some fun little trivia. I mean, we could go for hours about the trivia. I just hit a couple of the fun stuff. Um, The R2 units would run out of control, uh, and they'd be interfered with other radio signals, so it was really hard to get that to work. Um, The animated Death Star plans at the end of the movie in the theatrical version of this movie... Where they're explaining how they're gonna do the Death Star run is the only computer generated images in this entire movie. Cool. The rest of it is miniatures. Uh, I believe the lasers are like you know painting by frame, Um, matte paintings, and this movie does use blue screen. So I that works a little differently back then, but it is nuts. Well, we'll get. What would
1: they use blue screen for back then if it's not for the same thing?
0: Well, I just mean it's they, they would just put it in differently now. But sure. but back then, you know, they, they had like the Millennium Falcon when they're when they're looking at the uh-huh. Death Star and stuff. That's that's another shot that's been shot that is now cut into the uh-huh. film. But it's technically not computer because no computer put it there. Uh-huh. Human hands are cutting it in there uh-huh. um, with the blue screen. But it's. I mean I maybe there's some other examples of blue screen before this I'd be interested but I think this is like the cutting edge. huh And they also developed these cameras that could replicate movements so that they could do multiple movements on like the miniatures and stuff like uh-huh. that. And if you've never looked up like how they shot the 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 um turret, the the what is that called the um, the bunker where they're t- I'm forgetting what that chase is called at the very end of the movie with the Death oh, Star. I don't Death know what it's called.
1: Are you, are you kidding me? You think I'm going to know?
0: Well, I, I think it's like a warfare term. Oh, a bunker. Something like trench. that. Yeah, the trench, trench run. It's called the trench run. So when they're shooting the trench run, you've got to look up footage because they're these huge models and you see like... What's tr- huge? Huge is like certain models might be like up to like your knee or uh-huh. higher, uh-huh. maybe like up to your waist. And then you have like, uh you know, a huge parking lot with with literally trucks with cameras on them like flying into uh-huh. the turret the the trenches and it's just like magic of movie making yep. you know it's really also, wonderful stuff
1: this movie does the uh painted backgrounds and throughout yeah, the, the series paintings, yeah. matte paintings and uh which was kind of a thing that was way more popular back then and i just want them to bring it back
0: oh i think they should it looks so good it looks
1: so good
0: well and um yeah, we'll we'll talk about the whole theatrical de- specialized thing in, in a little bit here. But um um so there is a deleted scene from this movie that now if you watch the versions that you watch on Disney Plus or whatever, it's in the movie. But Jabba there was a scene before they arrive at the Millennium Falcon where Han Solo and Jabba talk. And who's Jabba? Jabba is the big space slug.
1: Oh, okay
0: but he was a it was a man. It's like a man, like a just a large man and they're talking and and this is the, some of the weird stuff with George Lucas and his whole like the movie was never the way I wanted it to be. The the weird things about him. He claims that like Jabba was always going to be this big space slug. Hmm. But when they shot the scene, it's so clear that that was not his intention because now It's it's pretty funny if you watch the scene. They edit out the man who played him. They put in a CGI Jabba. But there's like a shot where Han Solo walks behind him. So they literally like click and drag (laughs) Harrison Ford like walking over his tail and add Jabba going like. (laughs) And it's I mean, it's like some of the worst CG you've ever seen. It's so bad. I have a question. Yes.
1: So Disney by Star Wars. Yeah. It is now on Disney Plus. Yes. Do you think there were negotiations with Lucas that they had to show his cut, his edited versions, and not provide the originals?
0: I, we have no way to do this. I personally think it's a out of respect thing. Hmm. I think the second he dies, they're gonna release them only in physical so that they can make millions of dollars on the theatrical cuts because if you're if somehow you lived under a rock and don't know you cannot watch the theatrical cuts unless you have the old vhs tapes um but we'll we'll maybe point you in a direction if you want to watch those in a second here um but anyway the first cut um showed a lot of footage of Luke like hanging out with his friends and like talking about the rebellion and uh likened to a leisurely paced American graffiti in space
1: hmm. that'd be interesting
0: well you can watch those deleted scenes on YouTube mm-hmm. and it is awesome that they deleted those scenes because mm-hmm. they're not good mm-hmm. and it really slows the story down mm-hmm. and it takes away some of the wonder
1: yeah that makes sense
0: um Yeah, so it's good that they cut that. Um, So then they finally get to the screening of this movie, and uh, De Palma's at the screening, Spielberg's at the screening, all these producers, and everyone says, this is terrible, and it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. But Spielberg pulls aside George Lucas, and he says, it's going to be a hit. It'll make $100 million. Mm -hmm. Right after that screening. Um, And let's see if we got it right here. Oh, okay, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, George Lucas fought for stereo sound, which was huge because uh, theaters were not equipped to do stereo at this time in okay. history. So imagine you go to see Star Wars and you haven't seen a movie in stereo, and then you're hearing X-Wings like flying by your oh, ears and stuff. Yeah. All of this stuff makes so much sense why this movie was such a hit because no one had seen or heard or experienced a movie like this. Mm-hmm. So that's why people are seeing it four times in the same day. Yep, yep. But this is a great, great quote, which is just crazy. George made plans to be out of town in Hawaii with Marsha, his wife, and the Hayek's, I don't know. Uh, for the opening of Star Wars. The way he was um when graffiti premiered, he also went to Hawaii. He was still afraid the movie was gonna be a huge embarrassment. His attiso- his attitude was I've done everything I can do. It is what it is. I'm not going to read a review. I'm not going to talk to anyone from the studio. They were leaving on a Saturday. The Wednesday before, May 29th, 19, May 25th, 1977, they were both still working at Goldwyn, uh, a studio. Marsha on uh, Scorsese's New York, New York during the day and George at night on the mono RL track. That's the sound. The only time they ever saw each other was when she was leaving and he was arriving for dinner. They were both so exhausted they had forgotten Wednesday night was the premiere of Star Wars. And they went to the hamburger hamlet that happened to be directly across the street from the Chinese theater on Hollywood Boulevard. They didn't notice anything going on, and it wasn't until they were seated that they looked out through the windows onto the street and saw a commotion in front of the theater. There were people all over the place, like a thousand people. Two lanes of the street were closed off. There were limos out in front. It was just amazing, recalls Lucas, but they still couldn't see the marquee. When they finally finished and emerged from the restaurant, they recognized the distinctive Star Wars logo. Um, As soon as George got to work, Ladd was on the phone, a producer, and said, the film's a hit. The first screenings are great. Lucas replied, look, Laddie, science fiction movies. They always open big, but it doesn't really count until we get to the second or third week. So let's not get too excited about this. Then he and Marsha went to Maui. So they did that. Wow. He goes to Hawaii. Spielberg is opening one of his masterpieces, Close Encounters of the Third Kind.
1: Same weekend?
0: I believe it's the same weekend or the weekend right after. Two
1: sci-fis.
0: Yeah. And Spielberg has said in the past, I don't know if he still contends this, that if Close Encounters came out before Star Wars. It, it He doesn't say it would have been as successful, but it would have made more money because uh-huh. it did okay.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um, and so they're hiding out in Maui. They don't want to know what people think of their movies. They're scared. And they start building sandcastles. This is true. They're building sandcastles together, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas.
1: Oh, Steven Spielberg's with him in Maui? Yes. Okay.
0: And when they're building sandcastles, they start talking about... Like old serials and fun stuff. And they they talk about like how fun it would be if there was this like archaeologist type Get character out of here that becomes Indiana Jones.
1: Wait, is this in the book? Because <laughs>
0: that's in the I, book. I that's that's common knowledge as well. Um and they, they germinate what becomes Raiders of the Lost Ark.
1: <laughs> Which is just, just <laughs> two geniuses, <laughs> genius storytellers playing in the sand, getting sunburnt.
0: <laughs> They're literally playing they're literally making sandcastles and dreaming up raiders of the lost ark i mean that is like if you put that in a movie people would say it's too on the nose and stupid Mm -hmm. that would feel like a bohemian rhapsody moment Mm -hmm. in that movie where you would just be like i don't believe that happened but that happened
1: i just love it because i um there's such funny quotes from stephen king about like Throughout his career, people being like, "Where do you get your ideas? Yeah, like, yeah, you, yeah. Were, you must be like have such a twisted childhood." Uh-huh. All this stuff, and it's just with people who are so talented, creatively and storyteller wise. People are just like, "Where did you get this idea? How did this <laughs> come about?" And it's like, "Oh, we were just making sandcastles." I know. It's never. It's never crazy.
0: I know. I, I absolutely love that. That's my favorite thing about King. It just there's so many countless like. You must be so messed up and it's like no he has an imagination uh-huh. and apparently you don't.
1: Uh-huh. Right.
0: That's why that expression uh you couldn't make this up always drives me nuts cuz I'm like, yeah, you can. Have you ever seen Star Wars? Mm-hmm. They made that up. <laughs> um so then Scorsese says, back in that day he says Star Wars was in, Spielberg was in, we were finished. Talking about Who said that? Scorsese. Oh. Um Chewbacca was based on George Lucas's Alaskan Malamute dog, uh, whose name is Indiana. The movie comes out May 25th, 1978, on an $11 million budget. It makes $560 million in the U.S. and $775 million uh, worldwide. Uh, Now, I don't know how much of that is... uh, accumulated over the years because of course there's been re-releases
1: but the this movie was in theaters for like over a year
0: yeah because back in the day you used to be able to do that yeah um hit me with another actor okay i I still have more jordan but we're getting close to the end of my next we
1: have harrison ford who plays han solo uh as also uh he is in a lot of tv leading up to this um and then he is also stars in american graffiti And then he's in The Conversation, he's in Dynasty, and then he's in Star Wars. And then I think it is pretty well known that, like, he not only we see, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call it a struggling actor, but he was pursuing acting. He was also working on sets.
0: Yeah. Carpenter.
1: Carpenter. So he he was... He's the
0: second second most famous carpenter. Gosh.
1: (laughs) And... um, (laughs) As we're watching the movie, I just was... Because, you know, it's it's also very well known that he, Harrison Ford does not like Han Solo. Yeah. And it, it's just kind of funny because uh, as we're watching the movie, it's like, I mean, I think I can understand why he wouldn't like this movie back then dur- uh, in, in context. Because as you are just telling me how old the production went and everything and how like at that time, I can understand someone being like, this is... What are we doing? This yeah. is so weird and so dumb.
0: Yeah, and you're having to say, you know, like turn on the tractor, being Chewy. We got to get into hyperspace right away. Yeah, his best
1: friend is a a a dog. furry dog. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's just so funny. Like I get it. I I think I don't. And then I what's funny is I think we also you and I agreed that he I think he gives the best performance. Oh, in this yeah. movie.
0: Well, or Alec Guinness. It'd be either one of them. Yeah.
1: I don't know about that. But um, I personally
0: I would say Han, but
1: Yeah. Um the
0: gravitas that Alec brings is crazy.
1: But yeah, it's just, you know, he is one of the biggest movie stars of all time. And that book dictionary, the book of the dictionary film. uh uh-huh. It's funny the that writer, I just feel like he, he doesn't like a lot of people because yeah. he's just being pretty disparaging against Ford and how throughout his career he can't really carry a movie and all this stuff and it's like oh Hey, I mean, he is one of the biggest actors of all yeah. time.
0: And, and the role, I mean, he, of course he has failures, but the roles that he does, like, like Indiana Jones and Han Solo literally cannot be replicated. No. Because guess what? They've tried with both those characters yeah. and audiences said, no. Yeah. It, it, it can't be done. He, he has a quality to him. Um, and I think the key, which many people have discussed, of Han Solo is that he's the character in this movie that thinks the movie's ridiculous, mm-hmm. and it provides this grounding to the movie,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and and it's also just an interesting character instead of all this, um, uh, oh, what's the word? Uh, just all these like very honest like, yay, we're gonna stop the dark side. You have one guy who's like, I just want to get paid and get out of here. I don't care,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and and it really, uh, he's the best, mm-hmm. and and you're telling me that anyone else could play Indiana Jones, you're crazy. Yeah. You're crazy. I know. They tried to shoe in Shia LaBeouf at the, uh, in the last movie. Nobody liked that. I don't know. Maybe next year when uh, the new Indiana Jones comes out, maybe they're going to try and shoe someone else in. It's not going to work. It yeah. just won't work. No. It just can't be replicated.
1: No. Um, and then also we have Sir Alec Guinness, who plays Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's yeah. also in The Bridge on the River Kwai. Got to watch it if you haven't seen. Won it. an Oscar for,
0: I believe so.
2: Uh,
1: and then he's in Great Expectations, Oliver Twist. He's in the 1979 version of Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy. That's a remake, I guess so. Wow. And then apparently he received two and a quarter percent of the profits of Star Wars. Wow. So someone else also won the lottery. <laughs>
0: um, and he was nominated for an Oscar for playing Obi Wan Kenobi. Yep. In this movie. Um. One thing I wanna, I'll be exploring and I will specifically be looking for it as we cover this trilogy. I think that the Han Solo, I mean Indiana Jones hating Star Wars, I think that's been a little, uh, overly reported upon. Because I watched interviews after this movie came out, and and he's just kind of a gruff person, and and you know he's always been like they should have killed me at the end of Empire. Or, or maybe Return of the Jedi, he says that. And I, I think the fact that he had that opinion almost begs that he's like, no, it makes more sense for this character. So I, I think there is a respect there. Um, I think that's a little exaggerated since so much time has passed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Mark Hamill would often go to set sometimes when he wasn't working just to watch Peter Cushing. Wow. A note from me is some of the genius is that the story is so simple that the gonzo craziness of the story works. Mm-hmm. Um, Alec Guinness got the script from this movie and he was so excited to work with Lucas. Because it's often been reported that Alec like hated being a part of these movies. Oh, okay. I'm going to push against that as well. So he's like, yeah, I want to work with Lucas. He starts reading it and he's like, oh, it's a sci-fi, sci-fis are dreadful. And then he's like, the dialogue is ropey, as he describes it. But then he found himself, like, not putting the script down, and he just kept reading it. Nice. So he did it. Um, there are some early interviews where it, it is definitely not part of the plan that Luke and Leia are brother and sister, because George, in an interview, kind of insinuates that they're going to get together.
1: Ah, okay.
0: Um, and then And then in interviews, they just, like... They really hit hard all the actors, how much they like couldn't understand like the script when uh-huh. they were reading it and performing it. Uh-huh. Um, and then Harrison Ford describes the movie as not a sci-fi, it is a fantasy, which I agree with. I've always agreed with. There are sci-fi elements, but it is more a fantasy than it is a mm-hmm. sci-fi film. Um, and then I'm so close to done with notes, Jordan. Uh this is the most I've ever researched a movie, but by let the me, way. I folks. forgot
1: Peter Cushing. Let me just Okay, yeah,
0: hey, I I put in hours and hours of research to this movie.
1: So Peter Cushing plays Grand Moff Tarkin.
0: Yeah, which, come on, Grand Moff Tarkin? That's cool about name. a coolest name as it gets.
1: He's also in The Curse of Frankenstein. He plays Sherlock Holmes a lot. Mm. Uh, so that's fun. I bet yeah. he's a good Sherlock Holmes. He's also in A Tale of Two Cities, Blackjack, and a million of other things
0: and then he will be resurrected from the dead in 2016. Yep. Um so April 10th, 1981 is the pinpoint date where they changed the title to Star Wars Episode 4 A New Hope. Um and then this is interesting because throughout time George Lucas has has made special editions, he he's made changes We'll talk about some of the famous changes as we cover the plot of this movie. Um, often to fans are very upset by it. Um, and like we said, digitally, there's not a version of this movie. Now, there are these versions that heroes have made uh, called the de-specialized editions, which you can find online. Um, I'm not going to tell you where. You might have to use your imagination a little bit. Um... And it's what we watched. And they have reconstructed as best as possible what was the theatrical experience. So when we watched it the other night, it did not say Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. It did not have the Java scene. Han Solo shot first. The the effects aren't cleaned up. And so...
1: Why did they change the Solo thing?
0: Um, He changed it because he didn't want him to be that ruthless. Yeah. So he wanted Greedo to shoot first. So that it'd be like, well, Han was defending himself. But it, beyond the fact that um, it doesn't make any sense, like that Greedo would miss yeah. the shot, it, it also, I've heard it pointed out that it kind of changes the character of Han yeah, and makes him like more sympathetic in a way that kind of hurts his character yeah. and how he portrayed that character. Um, but yeah, there's a bunch of changes. Um, I've seen those special editions so many times that when we watch... The theatrical i'm always like oh yeah like that looks different that looks different that looks di- like the death star explosion is different and it's a shame because these are oscar winning special effects and he's gone in and like the trench run and like a lot of this stuff has been replaced with cg or like touched up and it's like it's kind of disrespectful to the s- people who worked on this so what do
1: you think the idea is on his part is it a insecurity on he didn't do he he couldn't have done everything he wanted to do because he had so much pushback and the or technology
0: like, wasn't there yet. The
1: technology wasn't there. And then, I mean, do you think he's a person who can never be satisfied? Cause that's how I feel about him.
0: Absolutely. Um, I, I, that I think that's nail on the head. And I think if we go back to 1971, him saying, I love the technical aspects of film. Yeah. Um, and I, well, it's
1: I, just interesting that like he, seems to be so dissatisfied while also being so uh interested in the technical side of it it's like why don't why go back and update what you've already done when you can just make new things
0: right right
1: but i but also it's like he is best known for those
0: right and and i think i what's a wonderful example too is in the 2000s i think spielberg came out with like a special edition of E.T. And he replaced the puppet with a CG E.T. And changed some other stuff. And nobody liked it. It's a silly thing to do. I've never seen that. I've never seen it either. I will not watch it. But when it came out on DVD, when you bought it, there were two discs. Mm. One was the special edition. One was the theatrical. So there was always the option. Mm -hmm. And Lucas, you know, when they made the digital jump, he never made the theatricals available and i just think that at a certain point as an artist um i i think that like when you give something and it's out i i do think there is a point where it's like that's it you did it it's not yours anymore mm-hmm. um so i i am of course nowhere near george lucas but when i came out with my my bible ep's adam eve abel and cain um i came out with them i was satisfied with them but over the years Adam, even able, I'm just like, I wish they sounded better. So I re-recorded them, and I had someone else produce them. Mm-hmm. And I released them, but I didn't delete the other stuff. You can l- still listen to the old mixes because those aren't mine anymore. Mm-hmm. They're yours.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I prefer the new releases, but if you want to listen to the old stuff, okay, you can. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, Makes maybe, sense.
0: maybe these words will come back to haunt me someday. I don't know, but... Um so finally the but i there is there is a digital not made by the the people who've reconstructed it there is a real version out there of the theatrical because in 1989 the theatrical version was selected for the National Film Registry in 1997 they were able to do 35 millimeter rolls um reels and transfer the original prints so that they wouldn't deteriorate. And in 2015, the library has a 2K print that's available for viewing by appointment only. Oh. If we're ever in the National Film Review... Where is that? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, or okay. Film Registry. We should go there and get an appointment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I don't know if you can just do that. but um... And then finally, the movie is nominated for Best Art Direction. Or no, it wins Best Art Direction, Best Costume, Best Film Editing, Best Score, Best Sound, Best Visuals. And then it's nominated for uh, best actor, Alec Guinness, supporting role, and loses. And that is my notes on Star Wars. What an introduction! We've introduced you, but we're we're only halfway there. Now we got to talk about the movie. Do you have any more actors that you want to cover, or are we good? Nope. Okay. So you're sitting there. It's 1977. And you haven't probably haven't seen a sci-fi in theaters for a long time. You're with your kids. You've heard it's a family movie. And then you see blue text a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Stage is already set. And then you hear as Star Wars flies across the scre- screen. John Williams triumphantly says hello and it goes bum-bada bum And then it starts just the opening crawl. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the most iconic intro to a movie. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And um, not to go back to notes, but I I just found this out. Um, 20th Century Fox forbade Lucas to use a subtitle on grounds that it would be confusing since there had been no other Star Wars movies prior to 1977. In addition, it was not certain if the film would be followed with a sequel when The Empire Strikes Back was released in 1980, the episode number, episode 5 and subtitle The Empire Strikes Back appeared as the first two lines of the opening scroll crawl. What? So <laughs> how, how did you not get that?
1: I, he, so explain it to me like I'm 3.
0: So so he he did intend to have uh an uh an opening crawl that would have an episode number. Okay. But the studio's like, that doesn't make any sense. Okay. Then with with the sequel, he was able to include the episode number five. So, funny enough, I guess he did intend for it to be a four, five, six.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: You know, it's funny, and I I, I would be really curious if anyone else grew up with this uh, idea. But when I was really young, I had heard from different people that didn't know each other kind of a thing like, oh yeah, the books are really good. And they were not references to like supplemental material. There was this kind of theory amongst people, I guess, at least in my personal experience, where people claimed that these were based on books and George Lucas originally wrote books, mm. which is just patently not true at all. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what that is. And I'd be curious if anyone else had that experience where you thought these were based on books.
1: I don't think I thought that.
0: Yeah. But the opening crawl begins. It sets the stage. And um, gosh, it's freaking cool. It
1: mentions a team of rebellion people.
0: Yeah, the rebels. The
1: rebels uh, fought hard to get certain information. Yep. About a certain thing.
0: Yep. To get the rebel plans for the Death Star.
1: And it's given Princess Leia's in possession of it.
0: Yep. And that will become an entire other movie. Yes. Uh, four decades later. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's glorious. So you're sitting there and you're already like, wow, this is crazy. And then all of a sudden you see the Tantive IV fly over the top of your screen. And you're like, what? This ship flies The triangle over? ship? No, no, no. That's an Imperial <laughs> cruiser. The Tantive IV <laughs> is what uh, Princess Leia is in. Okay, so that ship flies over. You don't know it's called that. I know that because of the Battlefront. Yeah, I know nerd. And and it goes over. It's this cool looking ship, and then this imperial like that ship looks nice and cool. Yes, it does. But then this huge ship comes into view, past it, and it's firing at it already.
1: And that's an imperial cruiser. That's an imperial cruiser. Yeah,
0: and it's firing at it. And then we're introduced to our two main characters. C-3PO and R2-D2. Uh-huh. And they're in the Tantive, and they are, the the ship's being jiggled around, and it's being sucked in by the Imperial Cruiser. I mean, all of this, if, if you were sitting there, I know my dad has said, like, when he saw this movie, he remembers how it was like, everyone in the theater, like, could not believe what they were seeing. Man,
1: that's so cool.
0: I know. I've always wanted to see this movie in theaters, and I've... Never had the chance to.
1: I'm sure you'll get the chance.
0: I hope so. Um, I think it's crazy that Disney doesn't like have <clears> a deal <throat> with theaters to like run it every, you know, May Just every summer or something. Summer like or something yeah. yeah, I I remember after the six movies had come out and we were in high school, they they were like we're re releasing all of them in 3D. Oh Starting yeah. starting in with uh the Phantom Menace, and so I went and saw the Phantom Menace in 3D. And then after that, I went, they, they like Disney bought the rights and then they didn't show any of the rest of them. So I went and saw the worst Star Wars movie up to that point in 3D oh. and they never did the rest of them. And the whole reason I wanted to do it was just to see all of them again and to see the, the original trilogy. Yeah. Um, but they didn't they didn't finish those plans. And there were like commercials that were like this year like see all of the Star yeah. Wars movies in 3D for the first time ever. Uh all in the theater and they only they, released they do Phantom it. Menace. You'll get it. I hope so. I hope so. Um but when we were watching it last night right there I'm already like beaming. Mm-hmm. And I I have to admit I have full on nostalgia goggles on. Like <laughs> like I can't find fault in any of this. I love it so much um
1: so c-3po and r2d2 are trying to figure out what to do while um rebel army people are trying to defend the ship and um c-3po sees leia with r2d2 yeah and put like gives she's doing something with them talking to him or whatever yeah and then she gets captured
0: she does set the blasters to stun Mm -hmm. they get her i mean i mean the other thing uh, before we even get to that part (laughs) it's gonna be hard for me to go any faster than this but you have like all these rebel uh uh, fighters line up on the battle station like by the front door and they're they're lined up they have pretty cool costumes on
1: and then this what the dumb helmets they got those helmets, look weird. You have to admit that they okay, look okay. I think I, I think dumb is a little strong, nostalgia but I've always, goggles. I've always thought that they've looked really funny.
0: Nostalgia goggles, come on,
1: and they look, um, among everything because I, I think the world is very vast and deep and great. Yeah, that might be the most overlooked <laughs> sure. choice. Of well, design. And I,
0: I think the idea is that the, the rebels are you know, they're a ragtag. So they're just yeah, but, throwing together whatever
1: they can. And I should can. have brought this up while we were watching it, but I was too sick to voice uh-huh, it. Uh-huh. But it looks like at one point, so they have those weird helmets, uh-huh. and then it looks like some bad guys have the same helmets, but a different color later in the movie.
0: Yeah, they might be the same helmets that they're reusing. Um I I funny. think they're different, actually, though, if if we were to side-by-side like, them. Yeah, they side
1: probably em. are, and they probably serve a certain function. Yeah.
0: Um, But this whole thing is the door, you know, like smoke and like sparks are coming out of it. And then you have the stormtroopers come in. One of the coolest designed thing ever. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, sometimes, you know, the grunts in a series cannot be as interesting to look at. You know, when you have a Darth Vader, it's like, well, not everything can look as cool as Darth Vader. But the stormtroopers look fantastic. They really pop, Mm -hmm. and they come out, and there's this big old fight, and then pretty soon, Darth Vader comes out. Mm -hmm. He's imposing. He's threatening. He's huge, and and him, all black, next to the all-white stormtroopers, in this white hallway, is just like, okay, evil has arrived. Yeah. And And he's got the breathing. (laughs) Yep, yep. And he that every
1: kid has done, every kid has done.
0: Yes, yes. And he, you know, like immediately is just holding a guy, choking him, asking Mm -hmm. where Leia is. Mm -hmm. So he's just a bad dude. Mm -hmm. And it is that thing that Lucas was trying to do, where he's like, I don't want you to have to wonder about the moral ambiguity of this guy. It's like he's bad. Uh End of end of discussion.
1: Uh
0: Um, but then they they capture Leia, and
1: three PO and R two D two are put on an escape pod. Yeah, and they, they go escape. to Tatooine.
0: Yes, but as they're flying down, uh, there's a great shot of like the the ship spinning mm-hmm. because their their ship is spinning. Their their escape pod, and then Darth Vader talks to Leia, and he's like, "I'm gonna find those rebel plans." Now he, she has put the rebel plans in our astromech and in, in Mister. R2D2 himself. He's an Astromech, of course. We all know this.
1: Yeah, we all know <laughs> this.
0: Um and then the sets and models are insane. Uh uh, yes, and now they're on Tatooine.
1: So what are these little scavenger bros that get them?
0: Oh, these are the Jawas, of course. The Jawas. Yes. Who go,
1: Hartini! I love them. I've always loved them. And they yeah. get them, they put them on their in their warehouse, like their mobile warehouse, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which yeah. is so cool, and uh, we get a little glimpse into all the other robots that they've acquired—some yeah. broken, some not—that are just so cool.
0: Yeah, and and this is the begin. I mean, I I wanted to kind of keep it to like the story, but it is it it's just funny because now we've had so much Star Wars, and it it's it's funny going back and watching this movie and the way that Tatooine is shown is it is this random planet that is uninteresting, dull, and sucks. Uh-huh. And it's like, no one's ever heard of it. The Empire's like, Tatooine? Like, what? This place, are you serious? What are, it's just a hive of scum and villainy. But now it's this thing where it's like, you can't make a Star Wars story without it, I guess, even though it's insignificant. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think they got to
1: move past the desert stuff, though. They
0: they really do. They they need to make like a you know what we're not gonna do, like because they're gonna make Star Wars movies forever now that Disney owns them. Mm -hmm. They need to make a rule where it's like the next twenty years you're not allowed to be on a desert planet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that's never gonna happen. They're just gonna stay on on Tatooine. Yeah. Um. But but it's just funny because even when you think of. Like, like all this stuff breaks down and a lot of it starts with George Lucas because like Phantom Menace, you know, Anakin is from Tatooine. So the Empire is surprised to go to Tatooine, a place where like one of their ranking members was born. That's kind of weird. You you know, like it all it all breaks down if you think about it too much. And then and there's no real reason why Luke has to be from the same planet that his dad is from. Right. You know? Yeah, and that, that, like, that
1: doesn't mean anything.
0: Obi-Wan's like, hey, I got a great hiding spot for Luke. Let's put him in the planet where his dad was born. It, it all kind of, like, falls yeah. apart. Yeah. <laughs> so then for them to be like, let's just keep doing this again. And by now, we'll have watched some of Obi-Wan, which I'm very excited about and will probably be awesome. Um, But it'll be like, all right, we're back on Tatooine again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because it's a huge universe.
1: But Luke lives here with yeah. his... Aunt and uncle, uh-huh. so he's orphaned. Yep, um, and they seem to be some kind of farmers.
0: They're Jordan, they are moisture farmers.
1: That's cool,
0: that's as cool as I've it gets. I've never known that. Yeah, do and they say that? They do say it in oh, the okay. movie. Yeah, he uh, he's like the moisture harvest is coming up and and all that, but he Luke is like, I mean, the simplicity of this story is just great because Luke's just like. I want to join the rebels and fight the empire. Mm -hmm. And uncle Owen is going, no, you can't like, I need you for another season. And then they go and they buy these robots. Uh, Yeah.
1: So Jawas go around from place to place selling their wares.
0: Yes, they do. And they buy the robots. They buy, um, C-3PO. He's a human cyborg relations. He knows like thousands of languages. He's good to go. He's a great purchase. Um, and then, he convinces them to get R2.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um so Luke's like, Cool, I'm gonna get out of this. But uh then the next thing that happens is they're like Uncle Owen is still like, no, I I don't want him to become what his father is. And there's those fur that's the first hint of what is to come with the Darth Vader relationship. And I I don't know for sure, but I would imagine Lucas had that from this point. 'Cause like that that Darth Vader is Luke's father.
1: Luke knows that? What?
0: L- George Lucas.
1: Oh, okay.
0: I, I think I feel like George Lucas knew that when he made this movie.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: I, d- I don't think it's like a Leia and Luke thing where he didn't know that he right, was going right, to make right. them sister mm-hmm. and brother. Um but he gives them a bath um and
1: he's he's fixing up R2D2 and he he triggers the telegram of Princess Leia to play and she's talking about Ben or obi-wan she says obi-wan
0: help me obi-wan kenobi you're our only hope
1: mm-hmm. and he he's asking his uncle like do you think that could be old ben and his uncle's like that guy's crazy
0: yeah um and a- another thing that happens a little before as iconic as it gets luke looks out at the two sons and it goes na no, 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 no. Na, na you got the force theme and you feel that longing of he wants to be something more, but he's mm-hmm. just an ordinary, average guy with apparently a pretty high midi chlorian count. Apparently so. <laughs> um, which, when that happened, I just remembered. I was just thinking about John Williams, and I've realized that I have never seen a photo of John Williams where he was young.
1: Yeah, I can't. Neither.
0: I cannot think of him not as an old man. Yeah. But maybe he's like Max von Sydow, and he never looked young. Who's that? He's the guy in The Exorcist, who who we found out was 44 oh, oh, when yeah. they shot The Exorcist. Yeah. <laughs> and we, that we...
1: name sounds like a Star Wars character, so I really had no idea.
0: Well, he's in The Force Awakens. So... Yes, he is. Yeah. He's in the very beginning of that movie. Um, But yeah, I've, I've never seen John Williams as a young man. I um,
1: bet simple Google search will remedy that.
0: Yeah, but... Yeah, I should just let it be. Whatever. Um. So R two runs away because he's trying to find Obi Wan. Yes. And then Luke and C three P O go and look for him.
1: And they get jumped by some sand people.
0: Yeah, the Tuscan Raiders, as otherwise known uh, of, as. Oh, of
1: course. Yes. They look cool. And they go. Or, 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 or. I love their design a lot.
0: Uh huh. I remember when I saw the Phantom Menace. And the the Tuscan Raiders are briefly in the pod race, and as a as a young child, I was like, "Oh, those are the things! Like those are the sand! Like I really reacted to that and got very excited about that." Wow. Um, and then Obi one saves them by making some weird noises, and he knows a lot about the Tuscan Raiders, and he's like, "They'll be back, but in greater number." And then, um. You know, one one thing that people often cite when they go back to Star Wars and they're rewatching the movie and stuff is they say, "Man, Luke Skywalker is so whiny. I don't like him in this movie." And I think that that opinion is crazy. I don't think he's whiny. I think he's a very believable like teenage boy.
1: Yeah, he's got he's got hopes and dreams and he's being told that he can't have them right now. Yeah. And I, then he's given an opportunity
0: yeah i I just i don't I don't get the whiny thing. I've never understood it.
1: I've never felt that way about him
0: and and even you know how sometimes when someone points something out about a movie, then you watch it and you can't unsee it, uh-huh, no matter how many times I hear people say how whiny he is, I watch it, and i'm like i I just can't understand that opinion yeah he's he he just seems like he's reacting to everything the correct way,
1: yeah, um so
0: then we we
1: they, so they're talking about uh Luke o, Obi-Wan knows Luke's dad before everything. Yeah. And he actually has something from his dad for him. Yeah, which is a lightsaber. Yep. Which looks so cool every time. Yes. And then Obi-Wan plays the full message from Princess Leia. No. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Um and we we get that information. <laughs> Well,
0: she's you know, the, the the plans are in this and this droid needs to get to the rebels so that we can defeat this Death Star. There we go. Simple. We're and, and that'll be the last time they use that plot line in the Star Wars series. Absolutely. And the last time we're on uh Tatooine. <laughs> but um so he, he basically introduced this idea of the Jedi and and the force and it's all around us and all that stuff and already so now the the series i think even just right here it's like okay it was kind of sci-fi this is where it's like no this is this is fantasy mm-hmm. um and it's very much you know he's he's definitely having has read dune because there's a lot of the, the a precursor to the force you can feel that when you when you read or watch dune is in that mm-hmm. series um and then they find out that Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru have been murdered by the stormtroopers. And we storm
1: see they're burning, burning skeletons, skeletons, which is gnarly.
0: It's it's pretty um, graphic, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just these charred skeletons that are face down. Mm-hmm. There's something about that they're face down that is worse
1: to me. Yeah. And How did that happen again?
0: So the stormtroopers followed the tracking and mm-hmm. the... Um, I think in the escape pod came down to Tatooine and then they killed them.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, But they need to get out of, out of here. Yes. But they need a pilot. They need a ship. They do. I just want to say something before we go any further. Yeah. Just like the matrix. This is our third take recording Uh this dumb episode because of how sick I am. Yeah. Maybe all of a sudden you're like, Jordan sounds dumb a little bit better
0: hopefully i mean
1: hopefully because what you just heard and what i just heard was bad podcasting oh my voice just broke again (laughs) so i guess it's not much better for the rest of this episode but gosh third time
0: yep it is the third time
1: finish this
0: yeah, um, and I'm still uh, excited to talk about this. We have and some still, exciting things to talk about. Micah, just
1: like the Matrix episode, still healthy.
0: I'm still healthy, yeah. Um, I'm fine. Um, but at some point, so they need to get a ship. They need to get out of Tatooine. Okay. But w- another thing that happens is it cuts to Darth Vader in the Death Star, and there's a group of these men around a table, and they're discussing Princess Leia and... He does the great thing where the guy says like um your you know y- your religion is archaic and the force yeah. doesn't mean anything and then he starts choking him.
1: Uh-huh. With the force.
0: With the force. And then Tarkin says, you know, release him. Which is kind of interesting that Tarkin kind of is maybe outranks Darth Vader, well, I think. Well, this is what
1: I was wondering while watching the movie. Okay. Uh you know, I so, but do you know where Darth Vader ranks? Is he just kind of like, is he the muscle? Or is or, or is he really like in charge of everything? Because it really feels like Tarkin is.
0: Well, okay. I'm going to go, I, there may be, I'm sure. I, I,
1: we know that there's an answer to we
0: that. We know that there's an answer. I think what the movie shows us, these next two movies, is that in this movie, Tarkin is like the leader of, the Death Star. He yeah. is the leader, and Darth Vader is his right-hand man. I think that's what it shows. Mm-hmm. And then in the next couple of movies, we see how Darth Vader now kind of takes the role of, like, number two to the Emperor. Got it. Um, That's how I see it. I'm sure there's, like, a detailed breakdown. I think that's what's presented without referring to any extra canon yeah. stuff. Um, but I, although I will say, I believe in Rogue One, they make it very apparent that General Tarkin is the leader of the mm-hmm. Death Star. I think.
1: Yeah. That guy has the craziest bone structure I've ever seen on a person. It's insane. He is a skeleton. It's crazy. It is. I mean, he is perfect bad guy energy. Yeah.
0: What's pretty funny, um, It's, I mean, a common story, a lot of people know it, but, um, I was watching an interview with him and he was saying how, you know, he's playing this pretty ruthless, British posh, you know, intense guy. And, um, the costuming didn't have, he has very large feet, like very large feet and the costuming did not have the right size. So in most every single shot, he is wearing slippers. What? And, and he just he just points that out as like it's just very funny to watch the movie because you know that i'm just wearing slippers
1: <laughs> so we never see his feet
0: yeah i don't think so okay
1: that's funny yeah i've never heard that
0: they they tried to put him in some shoes and i think they like barely fit but they hurt really bad so maybe there's a shot or two i'm not sure that uh-huh. show his feet but any shot that his feet are not in it he's wearing comfortable slippers <laughs> it's pretty funny.
1: That's hilarious. Everything's so well thought out, so well designed. Yeah. Can't get that guy in shoes. Yeah. Oh, and
0: I it's okay, so this is a very in the weeds thing. But I remember when I went and saw The Last Jedi, there's a shot in that movie where Princess Leia is going through hyperspace and we see what looks like it looks like a hydro flask kind of shake. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And she looks at it, and I was kind of like, "What a weird choice to choose something that looks so, so much like something you can just get on our world." But I have to say, I watched this movie, and in that Death Star like boardroom, no they, way, they have cups that look kind of like the hydro cups. No, but they look like like coffee mugs that I've seen, just like slightly different. Um, you know, like uh, something you'd you know, put uh, like a, a to go. Co- yeah, yeah. There, there were a few that made me think like, okay, I see, I see how Ryan Johnson or the set designer or something maybe watched a movie and was like, let's give Leia something similar to that. Huh. You know. So. So that, you
1: don't see that as a faux pas anymore?
0: No. no. And wow. and I the, I think I'm like alone on. I don't think that Micah that's and like, I
1: will do anything to to be on the side of the movie. Sometimes I think
0: yes, yes, and
1: like when I feel like when I'm out having a conversation with someone and they have a problem with something in the movie and I really like the movie, I'm trying to explain any movie or
0: The Last Jedi, any movie, oh any movie. any movie ever,
1: yeah, yeah, where uh I liked it, I will always try to. I'm like, well, thinking of it from these people's perspective, it's probably this, yeah. Like I'm always trying to just defend the movie. Yeah, and, and
0: I mean, I don't wanna get into my opinions on those too much, but I kind of struggle with Last Jedi a little bit, and any excuse to like that movie more and put it more in the love category is exciting for me. Because the the thesis of that movie is the smartest and best thesis of any of the new movies. But there's certain details that really bother me, but like the main stories like that's so good, but we're hey we're like three months away from discussing that yeah. movie, so don't get your hopes up to hear what I have to say about that. Um, but um, then we see um, the Princess Leia's in her cell, mm-hmm. and they send in that little crazy robot thing that has the needle sticking out, and, and it it's,
1: it floats, right?
0: It floats, yeah. Which I don't recall seeing how they did that well
1: i feel like we never saw it fully
0: that would make sense yeah
1: how they got away with it but i imagine that it was floating
0: yeah that's cool and really scary Mm -hmm. um and i always wonder where that needle gets put into leia because it doesn't she doesn't have like markings on her and and in my head even as a kid always i'm like that needle's going in her eye that's always what i think
1: I've never thought that. I also like the design of the holding cell that they walk down into it. Yep. Therefore, she's at a disadvantage if she's ever looking out of it. Yeah. For a prisoner, I think that design's good.
0: Yeah. And what we're setting up with Leia, which is one of the things that I love about this, we're setting up, like, damsel in distress. And we're setting that up, but we're going to flip it in a few scenes. So... Then she gets taken in front of General Tarkin, and he's like, hey, here's the deal. We can destroy a planet with this battle station. I like how he calls it a battle station. Anything that, that Peter Cushing says sounds great. And he's like, where is the rebel base? And she says, it's on Dantooine.
1: Which, Why? Is there like oh, a uh, constellation of moons or planets that have similar names?
0: Yeah, why I don't is know. It that? I I don't know about
1: and that. And I'm sure there's an answer in the lore. There's probably a Stan a Van There's there's probably an explanation for it. But in looking at the context of this one movie, that is the only movie that's come out. Yeah. Why do we have Tatooine and Dantooine?
0: I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um. But I because it
1: feels like they're misspeaking. That's yeah. all I'm saying.
0: I I take your point. Um, so <laughs> her
1: home planet is, is what?
0: Her home planet is Alderon. Yeah, and he he threatens to destroy Alderon, and then she says the the plans are on Dantooine, and they they find that there's an old rebel base there, but they he goes through with this threat and destroys Alderon.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, meanwhile, our main characters Luke and Obi Wan. Go to the Moss Eisley spaceport, and if you're not into the movie by now, this is what's going to get you, I think. They walk in, and that all happens
1: before this.
0: This all happens like kind of simultaneously. But uh, we walk in to the cantina, and I got to talk about John Williams. He composes this theme of the cantina, this. And it's, it's, I don't, I don't know. I'd love to hear other people's examples of this, but when I hear this sound, it truly to me does not sound like a genre or type of music that's found on earth. And every time I hear it, I am like totally astounded that he composed this, this piece of music, because a lot of other times when you go to another planet or like a fantasy world, it, it still sounds like earth to me, or, or it might be like this place is a little more techno or something, but it's the future and it's like techno-y and all that stuff's cool. I like that stuff, but this truly feels like, Oh, this is not music that someone on earth would have ever written.
1: It sounds like something Danny Elfman would do.
0: Yeah, it does sound like him. Um, and then of co- of course, and this this may surprise many, um, and this is canon. You can look it up. I'm not being crass because I'm not using it in a, a bad context. But the band is playing the genre of Star Wars music called jizz. And why <laughs> J I Z Z? Why I do not know. So
1: was it alien jazz? So I, I we're believe putting a fun tongue and cheek <laughs> spin on it.
0: Yeah, I I don't know for for how thought out the canon is and stuff like that. I don't know why someone along the line thought, yeah, let's go with jizz as the name of the the,
1: the genre of music. Okay, well, do you think that? Did, I mean, did that come because it's not brought up in the movie? <laughs> so, like after the movie comes out the Lucas is being interviewed and stuff and people are asking him and he's like, Oh gosh, more dumb questions about this universe. It's called jizz. Well, okay. So let me see here. I, I'm
0: going to, I'm going to look up. Well, <laughs> I better be careful how I look this up. Star Wars. Um. I, I, I'm scared. I'm scared about, Okay. Yeah, this article is about a a jizz band without a bith has its work cut out for them. A jizz band without a clue horn should find a new gig. That's a popular saying among aficionados. (laughs) Okay. So I'm on Wikipedia.
1: Wikipedia?
0: Yeah. Um, Okay, so the Return of the Jedi novelization introduced the term... (laughs) 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 The Return of the Jedi novelization introduced the term jizz whaler to describe a musician. But the term jizz as the name of the musical style was not introduced until the publication of Tales from the Moss Isley Katina twelve years later. Um which would have been let's see what when it came out nineteen
1: ninety-five. Oh my gosh.
0: Um the packaging so this
1: passed so many different on um, t- onto so many people's different people's desks and looked at by so many different eyes and no one said anything
0: well and here's what's interesting uh the packaging of the 2007 figurine dan and the modal nodes dion and the modal nodes that's the the band i'm sure i'm pronouncing his name wrong action figure five pack refers to the band's music as jazz so they they didn't want to put the word jizz on a kid's toy i don't think okay but um I I love that little fact about Star Wars. It's a silly silly fact, um, and I don't know how that passed anyone's thing. But uh, a jizz whaler—that's something we've now said on our podcast. Yep. Um, <laughs> that's so crazy. But you walk into this that's bar, fantasy
1: for you. <laughs>
0: I know. It'd just be like I don't know. It, it it'd be it'd be crazy. It, It'd be like if they were like, "Oh yeah, all the all the saxophones in this universe are called
1: saxophones."
0: Sex, no, just sex. Just sex. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Um, so we're looking in the bar, and we're seeing all types of alien creatures. Satan takes up residence in Tatooine.
1: Very creepy. Uh, but there's a little bat dude. There's a little bat dude. We don't get enough of in this series.
0: Yeah, there's there's quite a few of these characters that. In future movies, and like in the Boba Fett show, will show up again, which is pretty cool. I-, I love the guy. I don't know what he's called, but he has kind of like a hump on his back, and then like his a snail. Yeah, he looks kind of like a snail. His-, his head goes straight up, and and in the in the book of Boba Fett, they're the mayor of the town that he's working with uh-huh. is that creature. So cool. And and when he talks, you can see the sides of his like neck moving, uh-huh. and then he has like a translator, so you hear this like oh, da, 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 yeah, yeah, as as this like robotic voice, like Siri is talking. Very cool. Really, really cool. I had an action figure of this guy from New wow. Hope. Well, I still do. It's in my parents' attic. Um, How
1: big we talking? Uh, you know, six wow. seven
0: inches tall. Whatever. Ice. Um, standard size, I think. But yeah, th- this whole place just looks amazing. And mm. I, and you can imagine that at the time it would have been like, I've never seen anything like this before.
1: Oh my gosh, it'd be scary but exciting all at once.
0: Yeah. And um, another thing that's really fun that the, the new movies did really well, I think, is is just a lot of these characters, just because of how they have to costume them and stuff, like they're their voices just don't match up at all to what they Uh are saying. And you'll notice in like force awakens and stuff, like there are characters whose mouths like don't move properly Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And it's now become like an endearing element of star Wars. That
1: that I think you can say is they don't even, they're not real. This is Uh, made up. That is how their mouths move. And that are, that are, that is the noises that come out of it in that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I and I think that's part of how they did, like in Book of Boba Fett, taking that character uh-huh. and adding like mouth things to the side of his neck because they were like,
2: uh-huh. we
0: can kind of do how he sounds in the in A New Hope, but yeah. do our own twist on it. Yeah. Um.
1: So Obi Wan is talking to someone at the bar.
0: Well, Luke goes up to order a drink.
1: Yeah, but that one guy says that he doesn't like you. His friend doesn't like you, which is some weird fly butt face looking guy.
0: Yeah, he's got he, the butt chin.
1: Then he says, "I don't like you." And there's a a fight that's about to happen.
0: Yeah. We're wanted in seven systems. And then he's like uh he's like, "Okay, like sorry." And then he goes um, how I for, I'm forgetting the exact line, but then he's like uh, I'm sorry about that, like I uh, he doesn't have to worry though. And he's like, "You'll be
2: dead."
1: Yeah. And
0: then Obi-Wan whips out his lightsaber cuts off his arm yeah it's kind of there's some blood yeah and he has a hollow arm what if you notice it's like very hollowed out really there's just blood leaking out of it which i'm sure is a costume thing but again it's like you can look at it and be like that's just how this body this alien body works i've never
1: noticed that before
0: which is fun yeah um and then we are
1: and then they just get to go on their merry way to talk to han about this job yeah. So we meet him and Chewie, and they tell him what they need. He says that he's got the fastest ship. It's done what?
0: It, it's done the Kessel run in, run in less than 12 parsecs. Yes. Which, of course, is a unit of, of uh, 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 like, measurement, not uh-huh. of time. Um, but we'll talk about that in, like, a few weeks as well. Mm. Um, and so Harrison Ford.
1: Mm-hmm. The Harrison Ford of it all
0: he just rules <coughs> he immediately he's just he just portrays this like scummy but pretty much good guy thing so well oh yeah he looks great yeah I mean get out of here it's just unbelievable this performance yes. and, and we literally have like Um, I mean, I, I think, uh, Oscar Isaac does awesome in the new movies, but he's kind of like a Han Solo-esque character.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, yeah.
0: He's kind of like a renegade kind of thing, although he kind of turns a little more Luke because he's, um, a bit more earnest.
1: Never taken it that way.
0: Yeah, he's, he is kind of, I mean, I, I think in the first movie he was kind of, he was definitely set up to be that, and then Ryan Johnson didn't really go that route with him. Okay. Um... But it's just like whenever someone tries to do that sort of thing, it just doesn't work because they're not Harrison Ford.
1: Well just it just would remind someone of Han Solo and how they're not Right. So it's just better not do it.
0: Yeah. Um so they talk about the ship. Oh, 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 I wanted to mention um another thing you can look up online if you're interested, is there is like an original cut of this scene that's cut a little differently. And um it's just really interesting because most of the voices you hear, including the guys at the bar that threaten Luke, are very British sounding oh, voices. Okay. And like the guy at the bar is even like "Take your droids and get him out of here." That's more New Zealand/Australian. slash Imagine it was British though. Okay. And um it's it's just so very They redubbed it? Yeah, they redubbed it with different voices that are um gruffer. Yeah. Great decision. Yeah. It works. If you watch the scene before, it it just doesn't work as well. Um, But it's just kind of weird because I've never noticed how much ADR there is in this movie. Yeah. But you start noticing that stuff when you see. Yeah. When you see that. Um, So they're setting things up. And of course, we watched the theatrical version. So we did not see the scene with Han Solo and Jabba the Hutt.
1: And then Greedo comes over. And Han. Oh, that
0: would be after Greedo. But yes, go ahead. I forgot okay. about Greedo. Uh,
1: Han owes him money. Get a little insight. Han has a lot of debts to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and that's why maybe he's looking to make a quick buck all the time. Yeah, because he's got debts to pay. Yeah. And Greedo shoots first.
0: Greedo shoots first, definitely. And um, uh, what what's the line that he says where he's like. I'll bet you have, and shoots him. Or yeah,
1: something. something like that.
0: Ah, yeah, I know you're yelling at your podcast right now, but um, I, I, it's just fantastic. Then we get introduced to the Millennium Falcon, mm-hmm. which
1: Who looks designed amazing. The ship? Who designed the ship? Uh, Let the, me look it up.
0: The production people. <laughs> I, I believe George Lucas said something along the lines of, "Like, let's go with more of a hamburger look." And and then they kept on working on it until they got to the Millennium Falcon.
1: Joe Johnston.
0: Joe Johnston? Yeah. Designed this.
1: Yeah, who is that?
0: I mean, is, is that Joe Johnston, like, director of...
1: Film director, writer, and visual effects artist best known for such effects-driven films as Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Jumanji, and Jurassic Park 3. Oh, the director of Jurassic Park 3.
0: And Captain America... The first Avenger.
1: Yeah, Joe Johnston designed the the Millennium Falcon. What?
0: That's crazy. That's like, do you, do you know the Michael Bay getting started thing? No. How he got started? He was working um, on Raiders of the Lost Ark on like technical stuff.
1: What? Are you serious? Yeah,
0: he was so...
1: I never knew that.
0: Yeah, and so when you think about how his career turned out, starting on a movie that bombastic... Yeah. Certainly explains a lot of why he is the way he is as a director. Yeah. But he was like second or third unit or something like that, you know? So.
1: So this is what this says. Yeah. The ship originally had a more elongated appearance, but this design similarity to the Eagle Transporters in space 1999 prompted Lucas to change the Falcon's design. The original model was modified, rescaled, and used as Princess Leia's ship Tantive Four. Oh, Okay. Model maker Joe Johnston had about four weeks to redesign the Falcon, and Lucas's only suggestion to Johnston was to think of a flying saucer.
0: Flying saucer, okay.
1: He didn't want to produce a basic flying saucer, so he created the offset cockpit, forward cargo mandibles, and rear slot for the engines. And then it was also said that the the shape of the ship was roughly based on a hamburger, with an olive on the side cockpit. The design was simple enough to create in the four week window. Johnston called production of the new Falcon design one of his most intense projects.
0: That is really cool.
1: Yeah, that's really cool.
0: And that's so nuts. Could I mean because that that is uh that's like enough of a peak for your career. Yeah he, he I mean he also directed one of the best Marvel movies.
1: The first Captain America?
0: Yeah. The, certainly the best Captain America movie. No, it's not Winter Soldier. It's the first Avenger. And maybe the best movie of phase one. And uh, yeah, Captain America, the first Avenger kind of rules. And people should remember how good it rules. Yeah. You, do you remember that? There's a great scene in that movie where it's like when he first becomes Captain America and someone gets thrown out into the bay. Do you remember this? And no. he he like runs over to the edge because he thinks he's gonna have to save him and and he but he's also trying to chase a bad guy.
1: Yes. Okay. And he
0: goes over to the edge, and the guy's like, "No, go get him! I can swim." Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then they get in their spaceship. The stormtroopers catch up to them, and then the Millennium Falcon takes off, and they're trying to get out of there and they're setting all the things and and uh you know Luke has called it a piece of junk um which must have made Joe Johnson hurt when he heard Luke say that he's like I I had to do that in 4 weeks no, what do you come expect
1: come on dude he's a professional <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then they make the jump to light speed
1: that is crazy the light speed stuff is never not cool and and
0: there's always the signature where you see the lights start streaking, and then the camera like th- whatever ship jumps into light speed jumps and the camera spins a little bit
1: one of the that's most, in like
0: every single movie one of
1: the coolest feelings ever, yeah, and I don't know if I can handle it anymore, but star Tours and Disneyland, yeah. when you do light speed a couple times oh yeah in it, oh, it yeah. is one of the coolest feelings. I wonder if I could if that w- ride would make me sick now
0: well, right now, any ride would make you sick.
1: Cause I'm already sick. Yeah. No, just because of vertigo. I I know. Oh, okay. <laughs> also, on Space Mountain, they kind of do that too. Gosh, it's so cool.
0: Yeah, but not quite the same. The Star Tours does it more, and I'm yeah. assuming that the Millennium Falcon ride, which we haven't done, uh, because I yeah. haven't been since there's a Star Wars land, uh, probably does that as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe cooler.
1: I want to go so bad, man.
0: I know. I know. I, know. I want
1: to live. I want to live there.
0: Well, uh, sign up for Patreon, and it'll give us more of a chance to go to Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so then, what's I I love this just development where they they've set their course for Alderaan. They're gonna meet Princess Leia. Things are going sort of okay. They think, and then they come out of hyperspace. There's Tie Fighters around them, and they're commenting on how wait.
1: They, they, like, landed in an asteroid field, they think, at first.
0: Yeah, and, and they're going, like, these TIE fighters, like, we're way too deep out in space for these things to have made it this far. Because these things have to stay closer to bases and ships. Oh, they okay. can't just fly all the time, which is a cool detail. A lot of great world building, just in that couple of sentences. And then Han's like, Alderaan's not here. And you just see all these pieces. We know the audience that it's been destroyed. Mm-hmm. All that's great, and then uh, Luke says that comment where he's like, well, what about that small moon over there? And then uh, Obi-Wan says, that's no moon. And then there's a tractor beam, and it's pulling them in to the Death Star. Now, they've never seen a, a, a base like this before, nor will they ever see any sort of Death Star-type base never, again in this series.
1: Never, never. <laughs>
0: um, how many movies have one, two, three, four... And then Star Killer 5. And then I, wasn't the, didn't the last movie, like, they were going to also, it was also going to be, like, a planet base again? Oh, I, I have no idea. I think so. So there's at least five movies, no, six with Rogue One. Six movies that have a Death Star Wait, are you Star serious?
2: Killer.
0: Yeah, because the original trilogy all have a Death Star in them. Uh, uh, episode 3 ends on a shot of the Death Star being constructed rogue one they destroy their work They they show the death star cuz they're constructing it still and then episode 7 is the star killer base so that's six they're movies they're
1: obsessed with just telling the same story <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's poetry maybe we'll discuss that further later so they get into a tractor beam they get docked into uh uh the death star and then they use his smuggling um Console Solo smuggling sections inside the ship.
1: Yeah, to hide.
0: Yep, stormtroopers come in. They knock them out.
1: Put on their armor. Put
0: on their armor. Disguised. They're disguised. They go to the control base. They got C-3PO, R2-D2. Uh, they, they, I, I almost said the Wookiee, Chewbacca, Obi-Wan, Luke. They're all there.
1: So they get into one of the control rooms. Yeah. And Obi-Wan has to go alone Yeah. to...
0: Power down the tractor beam. Power
1: down the tractor beam. Yeah. And then meanwhile, R2-D2 is like hacking into the system to find out how to get things Where done. the princess where is. Where Princess Leia is. So
0: they can save her. And so now we've set up like, okay, this is going to be your typical damsel in distress. We got to go save the princess. Uh-huh. Um, So Han, Chewie, and Luke go to save her. Han- Luke does that great thing where Han's like, I don't want to do this. I don't care about it. And then Luke goes, she's a princess. Mm -hmm. She's rich. You'll be rewarded. You'll have anything your hearts desire. And he's kind of like, well, I don't know about that kid, but I guess it's worth taking the chance so I can get a lot of money. Yep. And then they head down there. They pretend that Chewie is a prisoner. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they kill everybody in the cell block. Mm -hmm. And one one of my favorite scenes in the entire series is... And I uh, maybe this is my favorite acting in the entire series. That's what I will say. When Han Solo the, they, they call in after they hear all the gunshots, and they go they go, "What happened?" And he goes, "Uh, everything's fine in here. Um, just a slight weapons malfunction. things are going well. Uh, no need for anyone to come down here. How are you?"
1: And it th- feels so improvised.
0: <laughs> and when he says, "How are you?" his face just he he does this like what Mm -hmm. why did i ask that and then he shoots it Mm -hmm. and that is i will that is my favorite acting in the entire uh uh, 11 movies of the series okay it's the best got it done early i mean it's just we can only go down
1: from here on acting
0: i guess so i guess so um but now here's something that i wanted to talk about as well Obi-Wan is sneaking around, and he's powering down this tractor beam. Now, if you recall, two summers ago, we did an episode on Jurassic Park. Okay. And on that episode, we had our friend Kyle Woolard on, and we talked about the Barbasol can in Jurassic Park. And how, when I look at that, it's so tactile, and, hey, if anyone wants to send us a, a Jurassic Park Barbasol can... Just DM me. I'll get your address so that we can get that thing and I can play with it. Because they gotta have that out there. Yeah. Um. But I would say I feel a similar feeling. It's not number one, but maybe number two on the tactile thing. When I see Obi Wan walking around and he's pulling those levers and it's going, boo, boo, and he's just pulling those levers. It is just like total bliss in my head. Mm-hmm. So. That's another one. Mm-hmm. Do you do you have anything like that in movies? Like any any tactile weird like things that that like trigger a I I need to be able to do that really bad.
1: Oh, I mean probably, but I don't know.
0: You don't know off the top of your Sorry. head. All right. Well, I don't know. It it rules. Um, then Luke Han, they go, they get the princess. <laughs> And she comments, "Luke, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper?" And he's he he says, "You know, we're here to save you." And then there's this switch where it's not the damsel in distress. Yes, they're saving her, but she's like, "What the heck is your guy's plan?" And they're in the hallway, they're being ambushed, and there's kind of no chance. and she's like, "Are you guys gonna do something?" And then they're not. And so she just takes a gun, shoots this garbage dispenser, like vent, and jumps down there. And she's like, "This is what we're doing." And mm-hmm. she totally takes control of the situation. Mm-hmm. And this CR episode that came out on Wednesday on Patreon on the Hidden Fortress, this Princess Leia and the Princess in the Hidden Fortress have so much in common. Yeah, and I I love that, mm-hmm. and I I love how much she she flips the the damsel in distress thing and she is like strong and intense and she's not taking any guff from anybody.
1: She's a leader. She's not just I'm a princess save me. She is making making calls, calling shots. Yeah, making, she, call, calling shots. she's yeah. like
0: a princess but but not in the way that we think of princesses. Mm-hmm. She's like I actually have power. I'm actually, like, helping lead this rebellion. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, later she is a general. That's what she, like, her title, General Mm -hmm. Leia. So love all that. Mm -hmm. So they're making their, no, no, then they're in the garbage chute.
1: Yes. Very scary for me as a kid, but also a very fun scene at the same time. It just really stressed me out. But they're in this garbage chute. Um and there's something slithering in the water and it gets Luke and rips him down and they don't know what to do. They're freaking out.
0: <coughs> yeah.
1: And they can't get the door to open and uh, they're trying to get a hold of C-3PO and R2-D2 to open the door. Yeah. And then Luke gets up and he's fine. And the thing just slithered away because the doors are closing in or the walls.
0: Yeah. I wonder how long that thing is. I'd love to see that thing. I mean, no, I don't because I, I want the series to be able to move forward and not have to constantly reference the first three movies, but I do want to see, you know, little baby Grogu pull that thing out of the water so we can see the whole entire thing and how big it is. But I don't actually want that to happen. But Boy, I'd love to see how big that thing is. That thing's cool. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, the walls are closing in. That must have been a kind of fun set to work on.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, that's kind of crazy how they did that.
0: I mean, it just looks like it's just walls that are closing in, mm-hmm. but they're, you know, they're probably made of I mean, they're certainly not made of metal, so it's probably mm-hmm. just a few blocks of wood, you know, blocks of wood.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, what are those called? Pieces of wood? Planks. Yeah. Planks of wood. Boards. Boards. That's uh-huh. the word. Um they get
1: out. Just in time.
0: Just in time. They save
1: them and they get out.
0: And they're all headed back to the Falcon. They're gonna escape.
1: Meanwhile, Obi Wan and Darth Vader have started fighting. Uh huh. With lightsabers. Uh, which, of course, think thankfully with advancements just in movie making and everything, uh, lightsaber fights have become much more interesting to watch. Yeah. Uh, this is not that exciting to watch.
0: Right. But, well, and, and part of it too is like Alec Guinness is kind of an old man. Yeah. Um, but, but they're also,
1: but it's still exciting because no one's ever seen this before.
0: Yeah. And y- you know, I, before we were watching it, I was just like, oh yeah, you know, this, this scene is sort of <laughs> like, it's not lame because this movie is not lame and you put it in its place a little bit like time period, but it's like by today's standards, kind of lame. But rewatching it i was like they do kind of cut around it fairly well
1: yeah i think so too
0: so that it it it's a little more it's not quite like i i don't know i'll I'll reference the hidden fortress again there's that dual scene in that where of course there's a couple moments where you're like oh that looked very fake or that you know this out of the other thing but for the most part you're like this is a pretty good sequence Uh and while this scene is not as good as that scene um it it's still, like, really does the job well, and I like it. Um, yeah. And then, of course, Obi-Wan says, if you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. hmm And then he sees Luke, and he just holds his saber, and then Darth Vader strikes him down.
1: And he wh- disappears.
0: And he disappears. And we will later learn that Darth Vader struck down his very teacher, in that moment. So there's even more emotional weight
1: beyond just, I think we found that out earlier in the movie. Did he say that he trained Yeah, earlier him? in the movie when hit, with they're at Obi-Wan's house, he, he was did like, say that you're right. I trained your dad. No, no. Was he talking about Darth or was he talking about his dad?
0: Well, he, he says, I think he says, I knew your father. Um, and I trained, I don't remember yeah, but what he, he says something in that movie. was similar
1: to Kylo Ren. Like, yeah, he was training someone and they like turned evil. Yeah. And it was the but, same thing.
0: Well, I, I'm just trying to remember what this movie presents. Because obviously we know the story. Uh-huh. We know what happened. But I think that this movie presents it like Darth Vader. Like like if you never saw the other movies, you would think Darth Vader has always been this evil guy. But Obi-Wan just knows who he is. Yeah, because he, he, I think he says he trained his father... And then he later says that Darth Vader killed his father. Okay. Speaking metaphorically, of course. Um. Or, or vice versa. Like, he says the other one first and then says that he trained him. Okay. I believe. I'm sure. It's been a
1: couple of days since we've watched it.
0: Yeah. Jordan's been sick. Yes. Which is unacceptable. His take three. Yeah. Um, but he struck down. And Luke then immediately starts hearing his voice, which will guide him throughout the rest of the series. Hops in Millennium Falcon. They take off, and they're like, this is great. And then Leia goes, yeah, they let us get away. And Han's going, no, I mean, come on. We we really owned it. We did it. And she's like, no, they let us get away. Mm -hmm. Then they arrive on one of the moons of Yavin. Of course, you knew that.
1: Everyone knows that.
0: And... They have the, the only CGI in the movie where they reveal the plans, and there's this hole that's about the size of a, a, a womp rat, and they can shoot a, a thing in through it. A bomb. A bomb. And it will set off a chain reaction, destroying the Death Star. Now, one thing to just point out, um, of course, Rogue One kind of makes that a little more fun because we find out it was intentionally built. But for years, I had even heard, and I think even at some point I was like, yeah, that that is a plot hole. And we need to bring this back up that just because a story is written a certain way does not a plot hole make. Uh, just because there's a weakness in the battle station, that that's not a plot hole. That's not the definition of a plot hole. So watch Patrick Willems' video on plot, hole, plot holes. Does he
1: call this out specifically?
0: Yeah, he does. It's oh, one right. of his many examples because it's like, no, that's That's a, how it was written. A plot hole would be if if they just like
1: they had to do this whole convoluted thing when when they could have just done No, you could have done that based on the world you created. You could
0: That's have, not even a plot hole. That's just characters making different decisions. A plot hole is is as um, cuz you know the 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 other famous recent one is like, "Hey, in a quiet place, how come they didn't just live by the waterfall?" And basically, if someone calls that a plot hole, you're saying, "How come how come the characters didn't react the way I wanted them to react? Which means there would be no story. Okay. So, yeah. Anyway, that, that's all. That's all. I'm just pointing out that that we didn't have to have Rogue One to, quote, fix this problem. Because okay. it's not a problem. It's just how this operates. So, then we're going to do the famous trench run. And I remembered the word this this day. They take off in the X-Wings... And before this, Han's like, I got my money. He's loading, like, packs of money, uh, gold or whatever. And he's like, I'm out of here. I don't need to be here. And um, then there, I I think I read something about, like, some of the first screenings where, like, when Han comes back in, like, crowds were just cheering. Just, Just, like, standing up and cheering. I think one of the test screenings, if I'm remembering right, I think one of the test screenings that happened and then like a producer was like, okay, this is going to work. Yeah. Cause if the, if they're on board at that moment, then it, the movie worked, (laughs) but they're going through the trench run. We're seeing some insane special effects, Mm -hmm. um, Oscar winning special effects that George doesn't want people to see anymore. (laughs) Um, and the, but Hey, George, we'd love to have you on the podcast. We'd love to dissect it further. Um, we have uh Darth Vader in his cool little ship mm-hmm. that always reminded me of R2D2 if he was flipped on his side and like little bat wings were put on him okay <laughs> um and then he has X-wings and they're taking people out it's a pretty lengthy sequence i think yeah. it um it really like is a finale it's cool and then one guy takes a shot he misses And he's been following the computer. And then that great moment where the music comes back in. Na, 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 na. And you hear Luke use the force. Use the force, Luke. He puts his computer away. And then they go, Luke, did you put, like, what's wrong? Your, Your system went away. And he's like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. And then he uses the force. And he shoots the cannons. And they go through. And it sets off the chain reaction. The Death Star blows up. Before then, of course, Han Solo came back and shot the X-Wings and, mm-hmm. and saved the day. Let's blow this and get out of here, kid. Then they fly away and we see that Darth Vader has... His wing has been clipped but he's still floating around in space. Mm-hmm. So he's not defeated. Setting it up nicely for sequels. Um, Then they get back. They celebrate. They have the medallion ceremony and you know that's the movie you know there there's another thing that people have point i mean part part of the reason people nitpick so much on star wars is because it's so famous mm-hmm. but one thing people always point out is like at the end of the movie princess leia gives luke a medal and han a medal but not chewbacca mm-hmm. and how kind of sad that is and they actually do like a payoff in another movie mm-hmm. kind of as a thing and I've always I, this time when I was watching it I was thinking about that and I was like, yeah, but Han is the captain of that ship. So I think it's okay that she just gives it to the one we person. also
1: served though.
0: Yeah, I mean, she I, it'd be great if Chewbacca would have gotten it, but mm-hmm. she only gave it to two people, Luke and Luke and Han. So
1: it's okay. Okay.
0: Am I going off on stuff that really doesn't matter right now? Yes. Oh, okay. Um and then the movie does the the closed like it closes in a circle, mm-hmm. and it says directed by George Lucas, and it goes bump, bum, and most every movie that ends, uh, that goes through my head. Oh, really? <laughs> Where I see it close, and it says directed by George Lucas, and that music plays. That happens a lot. Like not most every movie, but many movies I watch that I play that in my head.
1: That's like when the HBO logo comes up i think of either curb or sopranos yeah
0: yeah no matter if we're watching a show we've seen you know just Mm -hmm. as many episodes of Mm -hmm. it's like no it's like woke up this morning Mm -hmm. yeah and that's star wars
1: Mm -hmm. did we do it i think you did it do i get extra points sure
0: no i think you did i think you did really great jordan i think you did really great okay um but here we are we we're, th- we're I mean, this is a great movie. Mm-hmm. Like it needs to be said, but next week we're gonna be covering the movie that is like the thesis for most people on s- sequels are better than their originals. Like like can a sequel be better than its original? Next week we're covering like the movie of that idea, The Empire Strikes Back.
1: Oh, so with New Hope, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. And.
0: Uh, what do you think? Got nothing. I, I really wish, uh, before we started this episode, um, I quizzed Jordan on what happens in each movie, and I really wish we would have recorded that. Do, do you remember?
1: What happens in the sex movie?
0: Yeah, what happens in Empire Strikes Back?
1: So, this is the one where Han goes in the cryogenic sleep cardboard.
0: Carbonite, yeah.
1: Carbonite thing. And Darth Vader's also in it. Uh-huh. Are the tiny little Ewoks in this one? No. Okay.
0: <laughs> any 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 <laughs> space planets you remember or anything like that?
1: Probably some desert planet in there. <clears throat> no. No.
0: There's no more desert planets until episode one kind of nice. We get a little reprieve from the desert planets, but mm-hmm. then they come back again.
1: Yeah, I got nothing.
0: Wow. It's, it's so crazy. Funny. And
1: I've seen them a million times. Yeah.
0: But do you do you feel like now you could go out and be like, "Yes, episode or I mean, Star Wars A New Hope is about this." Do you feel like you could confidently yeah. Because the thing we compared it to, folks, was when when we covered Harry Potter a few years ago, I had only seen him once. And I couldn't tell you like which ha- what happened in each movie. But now that we've covered it, the movies are pretty well committed to memory for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I can be like, oh yeah, that movie has this, 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 and this. So my goal is to get you there on Star Wars. Okay, folks. This is the beginning of the journey. 10 more movies to go. We love you guys. Make sure to subscribe and please leave a comment. Five stars, of course. And we'll see you next week. mm mm-hmm.